Book Four, Chapter Two of Les Miserables, translated by Isabel F. Hapgood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melissa. Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, Book Fourth. To confide is sometimes to deliver into a person's power. Chapter Two. First sketch of two unprepossessing figures. The mouse which has been caught was a frightful specimen, but the cat rejoices even over a lean mouse. Who were these Thénardier? Let us say a word of two of them now. We will complete the sketch later on. These beings belong to that bastard class composed of coarse people who have been successful, and of intelligent people who have descended in the scale, which is between the class called middle and the class denominated as inferior and which combines some of the defects of the second with nearly all of the vices of the first, without possessing the generous impulse of the working-man nor the honest order of the bourgeois. They were of those dwarfed natures which, if a dull fire chances to warm them up, easily become monstrous. There was in the woman a substratum of the brute, and in the man the material for a blackguard. Both were susceptible, in the highest degree, of the sort of hideous progress which is accomplished in the direction of evil. There exist crab-like souls which are continually retreating towards the darkness, retrograding in life rather than advancing, employing experience to augment their deformity, growing incessantly worse and becoming more and more impregnated with an ever-augmenting blackness. This man and woman possessed such souls. Thénardier, in particular, was troublesome for a physiognomist. One can only look at some men to distrust them, for one feels that they are dark in both directions. They are uneasy in the rear and threatening in front. There is something of the unknown about them. One can no more answer for what they have done than for what they will do. The shadow which they bear in their glance denounces them. From merely hearing them utter a word or seeing them make a gesture, one obtains a glimpse of somber secrets in their past and of somber mysteries in their future. This Thénardier, if he himself was to be believed, had been a soldier, a sergeant, he said, he had probably been through the campaign of 1815, and had even conducted himself with tolerable valor, it would seem. We shall see later on how much truth there was in this. The sign of his hostelry was an allusion to one of his feats of arms. He had painted it himself, for he knew how to do a little of everything, and badly. It was at the epoch when the ancient classical romance, which after having been Célier, was no longer anything but Lodoiska, still noble, but ever more and more vulgar. Having fallen from Mademoiselle de Scudieri to Madame Bournon Malarme, and from Madame de Lafayette to Madame Barthélemy Hadot, was setting the loving hearts of the portresses of Paris aflame, and even ravaging the suburbs to some extent. Madame Thénardier was just intelligent enough to read this sort of books. She lived on them. In them she drowned what brains she possessed. This had given her, when very young, and even a little later, a sort of pensive attitude towards her husband, a scamp of a certain depth, a ruffian letter to the same extent of the grammar, coarse and fine at one in the same time, but so fine as sensationalism was concerned, given to the perusal of Pigault Lebrun, and in what concerns the sex, as he said in his jargon, a downright unmitigated lout. His wife was twelve or fifteen years younger than he was. Later on, when her hair, arranged in a romantically drooping fashion, began to grow grey, when the Megara began to be developed from the Pamela, the female Thénardier was nothing but a coarse, vicious woman who had dabbled in stupid romances. Now one cannot read nonsense with impunity, 
The result was that her eldest daughter was named Epinine. As for the younger, the poor little thing came near being called Galmer. I know to what diversion, affected by a romance of Ducre du Menil, she owed the fact that she merely bore the name of Azelma. However, we will remark, by the way, everything was not ridiculous and superficial in that curious epoch to which we are alluding, and which may be designated as the anarchy of baptismal names. By the side of this romantic element which we have just indicated, there is the social symptom. It is not rare for the Nethard's boy nowadays to bear the name of Arthur, Alfred, or Alphonse, and for the Vicomte, if there are still any Vicomte, to be called Thomas, Pierre, or Jacques. This displacement, which places the elegant name on the plebeian and the rustic name on the aristocrat, is nothing else than an eddy of the quality. The irresistible penetration of the new inspiration is there as everywhere else. Beneath this apparent discord there is a great and profound thing, the French Revolution. End of Book 4, Chapter 2 Recording by Melissa